Well, once again, dear church family, this evening we conclude our Bible study series in the life of Joseph in Genesis 50. Last time we considered Jacob's prophetic blessing of his sons, and in particular we looked at uh, Benjamin and we looked at Joseph last time. We also looked at Jacob's burial instructions and his wonderful dying testimony. Remember that? Uh, his, the wonderful way in which he went by faith and that great testimony he had not only to his children but to his grandchildren as well. And like Jacob, God can restore to us the years that the locusts have eaten. Uh, often our senior years uh, can be our best years in the faith. The Lord really can uh, so draw close to us as we become more mature in the faith uh, with uh, our, our, our mindset and more set upon him. Those senior years can really be our best years. Well, at the end of Genesis 49, Jacob calmly gathers his feet into his bed and he dies in peace and in full assurance. In the opening verses of Genesis 50, verses 1 through 3, we see Joseph's filia love and affection towards his father. Remember, he had been separated from his father for many years and uh, he had now been with his father, united for the last 17 years, and he has this love for his father and uh, his heart is just pouring out towards his father. It says in verse 1, Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. Well, Joseph now is a man in his mid-50s. Now he was not ashamed, really, in the presence of not only his uh, children, but of others as well. He's not ashamed, really, to show uh, his emotion. It just came out, this deep and natural affection for his father. He falls on his face, no doubt moved by his father's dying words, his dying testimony and his faith. I think the, 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 the picture is quite graphic here. He dies and he, he, he falls on his father's face as to value his father's faith and his father's words. It's very pictorial here, isn't it? Almost embracing his father's face, kissing him, valuing uh, the gift that God had given, the testimony he had been uh, to, uh, despite his faults, the testimony he had been uh, to him along with his grandfather and no doubt moved by his father's dying testimony and his father's lively faith in the end. And he kisses his dead father. And friends, when affection is this strong, it can, it can kiss a corpse, can't it? Uh, when affection for someone is that deep and that strong, those things aren't a barrier anymore. And you know, according to 2 Timothy 3, verse 3, a telling sign of these last days, of course, we've been living in the last days, but increasingly, uh, we will be seeing a loss of natural affection. There, there will be increasingly this loss of natural affection, parents towards their children, and children towards their parents. And we're seeing that nowadays, aren't we? We're seeing a, a disinterest in how children are, uh, how parents are uh, uh, loving their children, 
And we're seeing this kind of, well, I'm just going to do my thing and you make your own way in the world, this kind of worldly philosophy. And, and we're seeing how children really are becoming more disrespectful, more disengaged in this. We're seeing this, the natural affection that's supposed to be between parents and children and children to parents. We're seeing this natural affection in our society breaking down. Um, and it's, it's heartbreaking well, Joseph's heart is, a, is tender. He wept upon his father. He often, how often do we see Joseph weeping for others? And this is not um, a self-pitying weeping. This is, an, an, a very, this is unselfishly weeping for others. Not for himself, but for others. So, uh, what a picture of Christ we have here in, in Joseph. Remember how Christ wept over Jerusalem. Remember how he wept over uh, Lazarus. This, this tender, very sensitive heart here. Not uncontrolled emotion, uh, but a very tender heart. We see it in David. We see it in the Apostle Paul. This very tender heart. And it really begs the question, do we, do we have such a tender heart for loved ones? Uh, not only for loved ones, but for, for everyone for strangers to God's grace, do we have this tender heart? Do we want to see much people saved alive, spiritually speaking? Well, in verse 2, Joseph commands his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and the physicians embalmed Israel. He was not only embalmed after the manner of the Egyptians, we know that's how they embalm people, we see the mummies and everything else, but also because his body would be preserved and carried into Canaan. Uh, he commanded them to, be, to do that. And verses 3, 40 days of embalming were fulfilled, and then another 30 days of mourning took place. And we're told that even the Egyptians mourned for Israel. Such was the deep respect they had for him, but most importantly for Joseph. They had a deep respect for Joseph, and of course, the death of loved one should profoundly affect us all. Um, as believers, even affectionately mourning, affectionate mourning is perfectly normal and understandable. Um, but with that said, as believers, we should not grieve uncontrollably um, as those who have no hope beyond the grave. Joseph, we see, regains his composure. He knows that the enemy to our souls, his soul, can use even that if self-control is not regained. And that raises the question, when does mourning, because we see a, a big portion here, when does mourning or grieving become sinful? When, when can it become excessive? Well, according to the scriptures, it, it can become excessive or even sinful when one gets embittered towards God over the loss of loved ones. And we see that in our society today. How many times have I spoke to, to someone and they've become embittered towards God? The God that they've never sought, but upon the losing of the loved ones, they really become angry at God. And uh, that's when it becomes sinful. God gives us everything, all, all life. He's the giver. It can become sinful or excessive if it can, when, it, when we lose sight of the mercies of God. 
And that's also when, when it can become sinful, when we start to lose sight of God's mercies to us. And also when we no longer thank the Lord for his many gifts and blessings, that we've been able to enjoy these people, that we've had them. And so we can lose sight of God's blessings and his gifts and his mercies. Mourning can, uh, and, uh, can become sinful when we draw back back as believers from performing spiritual duties and serving the Lord as well. So it can become it can become excessive when we can draw back from God's service. And of course, we, we, like I said, mourning is understandable. Um, but we, sometimes we, uh, we recognize that uh, if it's actually taking us away from spiritual duties, from serving the Lord, well then it's the devil's actually uh, tempting us, really, in that respect. Grieving becomes excessive when we can no longer commend the faith to others in our witness. And then it's become, really, it's, we've taken it to, we've allowed the devil to get in then. And this is just some of the lessons I believe we can learn from mourning or grieving. Well, what can then help us as believers with grieving for loved ones? Like I said, grieving and mourning is is absolutely necessary and we, 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 I've done this before um, and I'm, no doubt there are those in our family that have done that, in our church family that have done that. Well firstly let us remember amidst grief that God's timing is perfect. God's timing is always perfect. He is sovereign. He is on the throne. Our times are in his hands and the times of loved ones. And let us yield to his sovereignty in that respect. So let us always remember that as believers, that he is sovereign, he is in control. And one day we will all be ushered into eternity. Secondly, let us remember that it is appointed for all of us to die, some earlier than others, but eventually we will all die. And remember the Lord's covenant of grace to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Israel, and to us, it's an everlasting covenant of grace. And so let us never forget of God's mercies. God is able to console us, to comfort us. God is able to uphold us and carry us through. His promises are yea and amen. And often the death, of course, of a loved one can bring loneliness as well. Um, and we, sometimes we see that and our heart goes out to believers that we know and they've lost a loved one and they're, they're living by themselves and and, but with that said, God can, can, can fill that loneliness, can he not? Uh, Isaiah 43, 2 comes to mind. When thou passest through the waters, the waters of death, as it were, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burnt. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Of course, the Lord can comfort and um, be with those who lose loved ones and so draw close to them. In verses 4 through 6, Joseph requests leave of Pharaoh concerning the burial of his father. It says in verse 4, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh. Joseph here shows much wisdom. He's in his mourning, as it were. He's not going to Pharaoh in, his, in this state of mourning. He sends messenger uh, to tell this to Pharaoh and notice a few things which are commended here 
in Joseph's request. Notice the respect we see here uh, to Pharaoh and, and, and the humility in which he does it. If now I have found grace in your eyes, saying this to Pharaoh, uh, in terms of the message, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh. See here the great respect he shows to Pharaoh. I mean, he saved the known world at the time there uh, under the great mighty hand of God. Uh, he was due a holiday, as it were. He was due a break, wasn't he? And yet we see him with such respect and dignity and grace and humility. Uh, also see here the, the, uh, another great a uh, thing to be commended in Joseph's request. See here his dutifulness here. He, he understands that he's, he has great responsibilities in uh, being prime minister, in, uh, in, the, in the tasks that he's been given. And so he, he's not one who just quits and shoots off, but he's one who is uh, uh, asking leave in order to come back again. And so we can learn so many uh, bits of application uh, from these lessons. In verse 7 through 14, Israel is buried in Canaan as he previously sought by faith. Pharaoh sends up with Joseph to bury his father in verse 7, a huge entourage in verse 7. This massive entourage of basically of the elite of Pharaoh's house and of the elite of Egypt, the elders. It says the elders of, uh, of uh, the house of Pharaoh and the elders of uh, Egypt. So we have here basically the, the cream of Pharaoh's house, the elders of Pharaoh's house and of Egypt. This huge entourage, as it were, going up to bury Joseph's father, Jacob. And this reminds me of Proverbs 16:17, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And we see that, really. The natural enemy, really, of God's people has always been Egypt, hasn't it? In Israel, the Egyptians. And, uh, and uh, we see here that he was in prison, but now he has found favor. In verse 8, all the house of Joseph and his brethren also went up to Canaan besides the little ones and the flocks. And verse 9 says, these also went, there also went up chariots and horsemen. And there was a very great company. So there was this huge military escort that accompanied the um, burial. And this was more uh, like a very grand state funeral wasn't this this huge military escort the chariots were there the the horses were there and what great honors were put upon the the lowly shepherd after all his difficulties here because of joseph and we're then told in verse 10 that this great train and contingent of both egyptians and israelites came to the the threshing floor of atad atad beyond jordan and where there was a very sore lamentation. And so this we see here, this great contingent of both Egyptians, Israelites, and there's this bitter mourning. The bitter mourning and grieving was so loud and great that even the Canaanites, see in verse 11, were, 11, were taken back by, by this. And of course, it was at the, the, the threshing floor 
the threshing floor is known to be a place of separation, isn't it? A place of uh, revelation. We know that in the harvest time, the when they would to come into the harvest, they would get the the, the grain, the the, uh, the wheat, the barley, and they would they would have this threshing floor would be a large uh, flat surface, as it were, and they would thrash out the, uh, the, the corn, the grain, as it were. They would separate the straw, the, the, the chaff, from the grain. So the threshing floor was a place of separation, to separate the grain, the precious grain from the chaff, from the straw, to disregard the, the chaff, to burn it, and to reveal the grain, to reveal uh, the purity of the grain. And so this place of a tad is very, has quite a, was quite symbolic here. One commentator puts, points out that this funeral was an act of prophecy. It was a dress rehearsal for the future exodus of God's people who would indeed take a similar route, the same route out of Egypt into the land of promise. Remember, with all their families, with all their brethren, and again, the horses would be there, the chariots would be there, would they not? All these things would be there again, but this time, of course, uh, they would be delivered as it were, from the Egyptians. The Egyptians mourn for Jacob out of respect and honor for Joseph, but one day Joseph would be forgotten of them and they would persecute God's people. The chariots, like I said, would be there. The, the armies would be there. All these things again would be there, but this time God's, they would be against God's people. But the Lord, of course, like Joseph said, would deliver his People, God would deliver them uh, from their strong enemies. Uh, as it says in Exodus 11:7, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. The Lord puts a difference. He separates, uh, as it were. Israel's Exodus, of course, is a picture of the Christian's deliverance from, from being in bondage, as it were, to this world, to sin and this world and the devil. Christ has delivered us and we are more than conquerors and precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Well, I must move on. After Jacob died in verses 15 through 21, we see Joseph's brothers overcome with fear over the thought of Joseph exacting revenge uh, over all the evil that they did to, uh, to Joseph. Verse 15, it says, Joseph will peradventure hate us. They, they, they will, he will hate us for all that we, we've done. They, they're suspicious that he's still harboring uh, revenge against them, that when their father was with them for 17 years, that he's still harboring this revenge over them, that he hasn't, he has, he hasn't fully forgiven them. And so they're suspicious. They, he will hate us after all the evil that we've done. He's going to hate us. And you know, friends, when a family is divided over the death of a loved one, sadly, that's, that is the case in our... It's a very frequent case in our society now. We... 
We see that oftentimes we see squabbling over things, over wills and over and many things when a loved one dies. And it can, it can open up old wounds again. And old arguments again can reopen. And upon the death of Jacob, old wounds again were reopened. Joseph's brothers, though they were forgiven. And they were believers now. They were, they were saved. And remember, they were nourished with them and their children and their flocks, they were given everything. For 17 years, Joseph have proved that he loved them, that his intentions towards them were good, and that he provided for their loved ones. He protected them. Uh, he gave everything for them. And they were still really living with a guilty conscience in some respects, which produced this suspicion. Uh, of retaliation. Remember, Joseph's brethren were now reconciled believers. And this must be said that sometimes as, as believers, we can, you, we can truly be saved and be the Lord's, but sometimes uh, we can, there can be things in our past that we can be so ashamed of, so, that we can be so be brought guilty of, we can sometimes be tempted by the devil. Well, you've got to do s- s- more things. Uh, to, to, to be properly forgiven, to be 100% forgiven. Uh, it's not enough just to put all our weight and trust upon Christ's finished work on the cross. That we've got to, we've got, we've got to bring something else, uh, as, as it were. And the devil, so the devil tempts us uh, over this. He can tempt us over this. But the reality is, isn't it, if we're, if we're truly the Lord's, we know that every single sin has been forgiven and has been dealt with and forgotten about past, present and future. The, 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 the work is finished. The, the, the total work of our salvation has been complete. No, no more. We're, there's no more condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And, but, so we see this really with Joseph's brethren. They're, they're still here besetting sins. They're still things which they think, well, has he 100% forgiven us, as it were? Of course, they were told by their father to, to, to ask for this. And verses 16 through, through 17, we're told that Joseph's brother sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, thy father did command before he died, saying, so shall ye say unto Joseph, forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren, and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. Jacob, before dying, commanded his sons to seek Joseph's forgiveness afresh. Not because he thought that Joseph would not forgive them. He knew that Joseph forgave them. He says, thy father did command us before he died so this was a request that Jacob made to his sons that asked Joseph afresh for forgiveness here. And it wasn't because he suspected Joseph would not forgive them. He knew that Joseph had already forgiven them. It was really to further humble them, lest they would forget the pit from which they've been dug from and the grace in which they have been shown. It was for their own spiritual benefit here. And dearly beloved, is this not true of us 
at times. Sometimes the Lord in his providence shows us really the, the, the pit from which we've been dug and the grace in which we've been shown. And uh, we just marvel, really, do we not, when the Lord brings people into our life or circumstances in our life and he shows us, and sometimes he shows us that we can, uh, perhaps we can be too harsh upon others or something else can become in our life. And he shows us, remember the pit that you've been dug from. Remember how far away you were from the Lord. Remember the grace that you've been shown. And that will help us to be far less critical of others and more humble and more understanding. Well, remarkably, Joseph's brethren plead not with Joseph upon their own good merits, but upon the God of Jacob, the God of their father. How wonderful. It says, we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. So they're not pleading the merits of themselves. They're pleading the God of their father, the God of Jacob that Jacob cried unto to, to thee and he heard your voice and you delivered him out of all his troubles. We're pleading the same God of, of your father, the same God that helped you, Joseph, and delivered you out of all your troubles. And the same God who has saved us, we who are trophies of God's grace, we who, who now serve the living God like you, Joseph, we, we come to you now not as persecutors, uh, but we come to you as fellow servants of the Most High God, of the God of Jacob, the living God, the covenant-keeping God, the almighty God. And so we see here, they, they're not pleading their own merits. They come humbly here. They're listening here. They too are the servants of the God of Israel. And what was Joseph's response? Well, we see here the first thing he did was he wept. They, they sent a messenger before Joseph to, to tell him this and they wept and his brethren in verse 18 fell down when they got to him almost like with uh, Jacob and remember Esau almost preparing before they meet him and when they got to him of course uh, he, they fell down before his face verse 18 he wept and his brethren Verse 18, fell down before his face, thus fulfilling the prophetic dream of the 11 stars that did homage to him. And they no longer hated Joseph's dreams. They loved them. And remember, they, they hated those dreams. They, they saw those dreams as, as if they saw those dreams as if they would be uh, in servitude to Joseph. They hated him for those dreams. They persecuted him for those dreams. But what they didn't see in those dreams were that they were stars. They were stars shining in the darkness. They were converted. If I could put it like this, they were converted stars. They were believers. They had the, the light of the gospel in them. They had the light of life. They were saved. They, were, they didn't see that, you see, in that prophetic dream. They just saw, well, we're not going to be in servitude to our brother. They didn't see that they're going to be like stars. They're going to be these, these believers, followers of the Lord. They're going to be truly converted. They're going to be shining, reflecting the Lord in their life, you see. They didn't see that. And this is true. When we're converted, we, we, didn't, we don't see 
Sometimes when people witness to us and, and, and warn us, and like, like Joseph did, we just cannot see unless there is a great work of grace in our hearts. And, with, and then when we are converted, we can see, well, all those people that warn me, who uh, we could see now the, 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 the beauty of and, and why they did that. It's like someone has switched on a light bulb in our, in our minds and our hearts. And that, of course, is the Spirit of God. And, but they could not see that. So these 11 stars were now, if I could put it like this, converted stars. They, they shined forth. They humbled themselves, did they? They willingly wanted to become servants of Joseph. Well, much more can be said. Let us move on in verses 19 through 21. We see Joseph's response towards his brethren's humility in wanting to be Joseph's servants. They said, behold, we be thy servants. And of course, Joseph's very gracious response, verses 19 through 21. Fear not, for I fear not, for am I in the place of God? I'm not going to revenge you. Even just, even just the thought of them thinking that he is going to retaliate brought tears to him. I've forgiven you. I love you. I'm providing everything for you. I'm protecting you. I want the best for you. My heart is towards you. Even the, the, the thoughts just of, of ha- bad thoughts just brought tears to him. Fear not for I am I in the place of God. God is sovereign. He says in verse 20, But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Verse 21, Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And be and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Well, we see two great truths here, do we not, in Joseph's response. Firstly, we see the sovereignty of God in a believer's life. When a believer is wholeheartedly trusting in the sovereignty of God, we see this in verses 19 and 21. Fear not, for I, for am I in the place of God? I'm not going to revenge you. God is in control. God intended all these things to happen to me for good. Yes, the pit. Yes, the being sold as a slave into Egypt. Yes, the, the being thrown into prison for those years of waiting in prison. All these things God intended for good. God is in control. All these things work together for good to those that love God. who are the called according to his purpose. God can so overrule wickedness in the world. God can overrule the sinful intentions of men, bad events. We see that happening in, in the now in the Middle East, don't we? Great mercy, dear friends, can magnify great glory. It can redound to his glory. We see with Judah and Joseph's uh, brethren, how they were great sinners. And they were, when they were saved, it just magnified more the glory of God, didn't it? In the salvation. The second uh, truth we see here in Joseph's response is the full 100% forgiveness that was given. Verse 21. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake, spake kindly unto them. 
even as true believers. Friends, this can be true in our lives. We can, like I, like I mentioned earlier, there can be times where we can think that we've got to do something else to, to, uh, to, to uh, merit ourselves. Of course, if we're truly Christ, we know the, the gospel, we know that Christ has, pulled the, the, has, has, has paid the full cost, but the devil can so tempt us, can he not? Uh, that we still got to add something to our salvation, that we're not 100% fully forgiven, that the, the finished work is not comp- 100% complete. Well, Joseph is a picture of the greater Joseph, is, is it not? He points to the Lord Jesus Christ, who says the same. Well, the Lord takes away our fear of condemnation, our fear of condemnation, and he replaces it with comfort. The comfort of the Holy Spirit, the, the assurance that we're truly His, that all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been dealt with. And the Lord will nourish us. The Lord speaks kindly to us through His Word. He's the one that speaks to our hearts. In this world, of course, we'll have trouble, but He has overcome the world. Uh, not my, it says, the Lord says, uh, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, but give I unto you. And that's the assurance that he gives. He gives this full assurance uh, that we're no longer under condemnation of our sin, no longer under the devil's reign. Every single sin has been dealt with. Joseph takes away fear that his brethren have, and he replaces it with comfort. He replaces it with loving affection and of course the greater joseph has provided all for us friends joseph is exalted and christ is exalted and so all of our needs dear friends are provided we also have a a lovely picture of course of the godhead as well but time is against me so let's move on verses 22 through to the end scripture brings us forward to joseph's last days and death And like his father, Joseph lives to the ripe old age of 110 years old. And like Isaac, his grandfather was with him. Joseph is still bearing forth fruit in his senior years. In his godly testimony of faith to his children and his grandchildren, and even his great-grandchildren, still bearing forth fruit, still having them upon their knees, his grandchildren on a and even his great-grandchildren. It says in verse 23, And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. That is great-grandchildren. The, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. What a great role grandparents can play in the coming generations. That seniors can play, you know, our culture has a, has, a, has, a, has a far different perspective on when people get the senior years. Um, and they, a, 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 a far different role. But in the Christian circles, our, different, our thinking must be biblical. We must have a great high view of seniors in the faith. The great role uh, the seniors can play, grandparents can play in the raising and the influence they can have upon the coming generations. There's so much admonition in the scriptures saying 
about uh, the role that seniors can play to the younger generations in their godly example of faith, in their testimony, speaking of the Lord, in their chasteness, in their gravity, in their single-mindedness, uh, living for the Lord. There's, there's so many, uh, so much to glean from in terms of how uh, grandparents can have such a blessing upon the coming generations. Well, what a wonderful blessing it is, beloved, to see the Lord's promises unfolding upon loved ones. That's such a, a wonderful, we see this with uh, Joseph, He's, he, he is now seeing God's promises unfolding to these loved ones, to grandchildren, to great-grandchildren, and uh, it is such a, a blessing. Let us pray that as we continue to pray for those in our families and we seek to witness to those who are yet uh, to be converted, that the Lord will be pleased to bring in all, all of our families into his kingdom. Well, Joseph, like Jacob, dies in faith. And once again, this great act of faith is mentioned in that great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And in particular, Hebrews 11.22, by faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. And so like his father, uh, Joseph had this pilgrim mindset. He longed, he longed uh, to be in that heavenly Canaan. Do we have such a pilgrim mindset? That this, we're just passing through this, this land. It's a, in many ways, it's a foreign land. We're on enemy, enemy, enemy territory, as it were. And we're just passing through. We are looking for a better land wherein dwelleth righteousness. And Joseph had this pilgrim mindset. So did Jacob. Do we have this pilgrim mindset? Do we, uh, do we long for the Lord's return? Do we long to be with our Saviour? He believes, Joseph believes in the promises of God. Verse 24, I die, I die, and God will surely visit you. God will visit you when you're in suffering in Egypt. God will visit you as he, God has been with me. As God visited me and was with me, well, so God will be with you in the future. If you call upon him, he will hear your cry. God will deliver you into the land of promise. As he has promised, he will visit you. And although we see much death in this chapter, as it were, with Jacob, and then it's kind of fast-forwards to uh, a number of decades to Joseph, it is indeed teeming with life, isn't it? It's indeed teeming with spiritual life, isn't it? We see much spiritual life by faith. We see people dying, but we see the, this, this end chapter is beaming with spiritual life, with people who are optimistic about, about dying, that they are not dying in, in fear, and, uh, but they are optimistic. They, there's, there's life, teeming with life here at the end of Joseph's life because they believe in the promises of God. They're trusting in the Lord. They have been converted. And though death can compass us about in this respect, and that we can see uh, with sickness and 
many difficulties in the world. Yet if we're in the Lord, we know of this, don't we? We know of this peace. Uh, when death comes and when we're compassed about, we can know of this peace and this joy in the Lord, can we not? And so we see really here, although there's much death, we see there's so much spiritual life teeming here by faith in the patriarchs. In a way, Genesis begins, doesn't it, with life. God giving life, speaking life into, into the world, as it were. Speaking uh, the world into creation, creating. And uh, we see here at the end of Genesis, death. But really, we see spiritual life, do we not? Well, finally, Joseph, in the last two verses, makes the children of Israel give an oath concerning his burying him in the land of promise. Hebrews 11.13 comes to mind in this respect. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, Israel, they were pilgrims, strangers. They uh, received the promises of God. They saw them afar off. That's where they were headed. They believed in God's promises. They were persuaded of them. That's what true saving faith does. And they, were, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims upon this world. Uh, like we keep saying that resounding hymn Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. And that's so true. So more in love we are with our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more we're spent in his service and we just want to be close to him, well, the, the, the dimmer the things of this world, the lights will start becoming ever so dim. Well, brethren, we, we are but strangers and pilgrims in this world, in this very hostile land to our faith. We're just passing through. Let us have a light hand upon the things of this world and a tight hand upon Christ by faith and the things of the eternity to come. And like Joseph's coffin, we are headed to another land where dwelleth righteousness. The bones will be given, our bones will be given new resurrected bodies one day, will they not? These bones of ours will be dressed with uh, resurrected bodies. Well, this brings us really to the end of our series on the life of Joseph. And I trust we've applied some of the truths throughout the series to our hearts and our lives. In particular, thinking of God's sovereignty and providence in our lives. Let us never lose heart and mind of that, that he is in control. He is sovereign over our lives. And in the, and in the confidence we should have in the sure prophecy of his word. When God says something in his word, he means it. Concerning our salvation, concerning our sanctification, concerning that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, all the prophecies of God's word, we can have absolute confidence in them. Um, let us never, never turn aside from them. Along with the hope we have of seeing loved ones, strangers, becoming also trophies of God's grace as well. Sometimes we can lose uh, track of that. 
You think of the, what the Lord did in Joseph's family. You think of Judah, the great trophy of God's grace. Uh, and we, sometimes we think, well, how, how uh, is that person ever going to become a Christian? Well, just go back and see how the Lord saved me, the chief of sinners. Uh, and so we can never lose track whilst there's breath, there's hope in loved ones. And the strangers, as our society becomes darker, darker spiritually speaking, let us never ever lose faith that the law can still do a great work. Many souls could be brought in. And so let us not grow weary in well-doing. And so again, I hope the series has instilled within us the need for us to long for God's presence to be ever upon us. Remember that as well in the ups and downs of, of life. To, to the, the one thing to seek more than anything is God's felt presence by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord was with Joseph. Kips on saying that over and over again, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph. That, was, that meant everything to Joseph. He could, he could deal with the pit. He could deal with the, with the dungeon, with the prison. He could deal with being, uh, 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 being falsely accused. He could deal with all these things, but, but he could not deal when, when the, the, the Lord, if the Lord was not with him. That, that is the, the worst thing for a believer. And like Job, we can, we, can have every, we can have everything stripped from us. But, but when we, we lose that, that felt presence of the Lord, that's the worst for a believer. For a believer. Let us strive for that every day. Don't go a day, let, don't let a day go by without knowing that felt presence of the Lord, crying to the Lord. This world wants to desensitize us to the things of the Lord, distract us, consume us, as it were. Don't lose that felt presence, that, the, 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 the filling of the Holy Spirit, the knowing of the Lord's closeness, the, 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 the crying to the Lord in prayer, knowing of his strength, knowing of his upholding, of his uplifting, knowing of answers to prayer, wrestling with the Lord in prayer until we have that close presence again. It's a, it's a daily thing sometimes, isn't it? And so let us learn, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to earnestly uh, want that presence and to... Uh, 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 as um, trying to think of the right words now, just to, to revel in that, that, that joy and that peace and that nourishment which the Lord wants to give us, to, to feed us and to bless us. He wants to bless us. Let us receive it, as it were, along with understanding that our afflictions and our trials prepare us for greater usefulness. Remember that. When you're going through difficulties and trials, uh, remember that your trials are tailored specifically for you and for me. They're bespoke. Remember that. That will really help you when you're overcoming trials, whether it's with work, whether it's with sickness, whether it's with loved ones upon your heart, whatever it is, doubts, fears. Remember that every single trial you're going through is tailored. And, and it's specifically, it's to prepare us for usefulness. God wants to use us. God wants us to be fruitful. And remember that. And so it, that will help us to draw nigh to the Lord and ask, help me to learn the purpose of this trial. Not to complain about it, not to draw back, but help me to learn and to ask, help me, Lord, what I am to learn from this trial. How I, you could best use me in this trial. You know, and, and often, sometimes, 
And I, we could see, I could see this in brothers and sisters here in the Lord. When people are going through trials, other people may not, we may not see the fruit, but other people can see the fruit and say, well, look how the Lord's using that person. They're going through so many difficulties at home. They're, 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 they seem like compassed about, but yet look how the Lord's uh, using them. Look how zealous they are for the Lord and evangelism. Or look how committed they're willing to drive an hour to come to church on a Tuesday evening. They're, they're willing to, to, to labor at home in the world. They're, they're willing to, to do this and to that. They're willing to, because, and the Lord is, uh, despite all these things, the Lord is working, great work in their hearts here, despite all these trials. And so let us not forget that all our trials are tailored by the Lord God for us, for a specific purpose. Let us ever inquire of that purpose. Remember- Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.